Welcome back to the broadcast, friends. Welcome back to Corbett Report Radio. Once again, I am your host, James Corbett of CorbettReport.com. Coming to you live this Tuesday evening, June 5th, 2012, in the United States. June 6th, 2012, for me here in Japan. And it is, uh, well, quite a change, quite a turnaround from 23 hours ago when we were celebrating the fifth anniversary of the Corbett Report. And tonight I am the bearer of very bad news indeed. And yes, I can confirm for all of the people who have ridden in over the past few days that unfortunately we have received the news that yes, Bob Chapman, regular guest of CorbettReport.com and a dear and valued friend, has indeed passed away this week. So unfortunately, we are going to have to soldier on without Bob Chapman, or at least without his physical presence, although we of course know that his legacy and his memory live on in each and every one of us who has been touched by his life and really blessed to have him in our lives. And it's, uh, it's been a few years now since I first contacted Bob for an interview for The Corbett Report. After having heard him on various radio shows, and he, of course, did hundreds of uh, radio shows all around the world, he did just an incredible workload of interviews trying to spread the information and get the word out. And after having uh, heard him several times and really enjoyed his uh, delivery and his in- intelligence, his manner, his uh, experience, I wanted to have him on the Corbett Report, so I sent him off an email and he responded right away. We, we set that up, and before long, it was becoming a weekly, uh, sorry, a regular monthly uh, conversation. And that developed into a regular weekly conversation. And uh, then eventually he asked me to start writing for the International Forecaster. So it has been quite a roller coaster ride. And uh, I definitely have Bob Chapman to thank for so many different things in my life. And, uh, and it's the night that we mark the solemn occasion of the passing of this incredible man who, as many of you know, has been really writing and, uh, and talking about these matters for, well, he been going for about five decades along this line, and uh, it's longer than most people have uh, have certainly been talking about the types of things that we talk here on the Corbett Report, the types of things that really go on behind the scenes, and what a remarkable life he has led, and, uh, and it is certainly an overwhelming task to really carry on that legacy, but it's up to each and every one of us to do so, because obviously we cannot let that, uh, that candle that he lit flicker out. So tonight we're going to be reflecting on uh, the legacy of Bob Chapman. We're going to be listening to some clips of some of the interviews that I conducted with him. And, of course, your comments are welcome as well if you have anything you'd like to add. 1-800-313-9443. That's 1-800-313-9443. We can get your comments about Bob Chapman. But I think one of the things that uh, I, I should point out here and that probably no one really knows about is that Bob Chapman is probably the reason that I'm talking to you right now, as it was his uh, initiative and his prerogative to get on the horn and uh, rustle up some of his contacts to get me on the air and get a radio show for me. Um, I was absolutely blessed and blown away to have uh, Bob Chapman in my corner uh, and fighting for me on so many different fronts, and he, uh, he always had a, a nice word for me with so many different people that opened up a lot of doors for me, so I... Uh, I I just am completely overwhelmed that this man, who I never actually met and uh, never once met face to face, was someone who was just so incredibly passionate about this uh, information and about what we're doing that he was 
willing to go out on a limb for me, someone that he uh, he barely knew, really, but uh, but he did it time and again. And because of that, I have this radio show and uh, and so many other different things that he helped me personally with. So tonight we're going to be remembering the life and the legacy of Robert Chapman. We'll do so a little bit more right after this break. Broadcast friends, welcome back to Corbett Report Radio here on this Tuesday evening as we continue remembering and celebrating the life of Robert Chapman, Bob Chapman, who passed away earlier this week, and it is with great sympathy and condolences to his family that we mark this solemn occasion and look back on the remarkable life and career of Bob Chapman, and of course I only had the pleasure and the honor of knowing him for the last few years of his life. But uh, we did have the chance to talk about some of his incredible experiences and some of the things that he has uh, been through in his life during our time together. So it was uh, quite a remarkable journey and one that I hope that you've been following with me at CorbettReport.com, where in the interview archives there are dozens and dozens and dozens and dozens and dozens of interviews with Bob Chapman, all of which will, of course, be part of that legacy that he has left behind, but only a small part indeed. Of course, you can find that in the search bar of CorbettReport.com. Just type Bob Chapman into that search bar, and you can find all of our various conversations that we had over the years. And it is, again, quite a remarkable life that he has led, and uh, I'm sure that most of the people out there who has have been listening to our conversations over the last few months will know that uh, Bob has been had been struggling with uh, with cancer during the last few months, and I think it was becoming quite evident uh, in the interviews that he was struggling and soldiering through the the pain that he was obviously uh, under. But uh, but that is the type of person Bob Chapman was. He was absolutely just uh, unrelenting in his quest to to really help people and spread the information. A testament to his uh, decades and decades of uh, producing this, uh, these newsletters and this type of information. And also, of course, uh, answering each and every single email that he received uh, personally. Quite an incredible, remarkable feat, one that I'm not even able to accomplish with my relatively uh, smaller audience than, than he had. And, uh, and yet he was able to do that every single day, spending hours writing emails, spending hours uh, doing radio interviews, and spending hours writing the forecaster. So... Uh, Again, quite a way to spend one's retirement. Well, let's listen to some clips tonight of uh, some of our conversations with Bob Chapman. We're going to start with a clip uh, from a conversation that I conducted back in 2010 with Bob Chapman, where we started to discuss the morality at the base of our system and the, the real moral rudder that people have lost during the, the last few years. So let's listen to that first clip. This is James Corbett of CorbettReport.com. It's the 18th of May, 2010, and I'm joined on the line today for my monthly conversation with Bob Chapman of TheInternationalForecaster.com. In addition to spending three years in U.S. Army counterintelligence, being the world's largest silver and gold stockbroker in the 1980s, owning and writing the Gary Allen Report, and generally fighting the New World Order for half a century, Bob Chapman currently compiles the International Forecaster newsletter on matters political, economic, business, financial, and social twice a week, 
which I'm sure is quite a way to spend your retirement. Uh, Bob Chapman, thank you for joining me once again on the Corbett Report. Well, you're entirely welcome, and it's great being back. Excellent. Well, uh, well, Mr. Chapman, what is there to say about the titanic tectonic shifts that have been taking place uh, in the past month since we last talked with the uh, destabilization of the European monetary zone proceeding apace and the thousand-point plunge domestic financial terrorism on the Dow recently and uh, the passage of a watered-down and ultimately completely useless version of the audit the Fed bill? Uh, we've seen some truly remarkable things happening lately, and uh, that's hardly surprising as we begin the slide down the slope into the planned financial Armageddon, which will only serve to benefit the banksters who created it in the first place. So uh, I want to start today by putting things in perspective and drawing attention to an incredibly insightful piece that you wrote recently for the forecaster that you uh, put under the title, The Morality of the Financial Monetary System is Really What is Broken. So why don't you tell the audience about that essay and at what points you were noting there? Well, I think the most important thing is that overall worldwide, uh, just in the last 50 years, the attitudes of people toward other people and the attitudes toward what's right and wrong and uh, what should and should not go on within business of government is totally distorted. I mean, very few people seem to care anymore. And even in business and in government, what people do uh, is things that weren't acceptable before, but now they're politically and socially correct, which is like lying. And, you know, that's borne out by government statistics since 1980. They've distorted the statistics so much that they're virtually worthless. And I see these companies uh, basing uh, decisions uh, on perhaps the production of homes or the production of widgets or whatever based on government figures, and they get to the end of edge of bankruptcy uh, because they listen to the government, which was not telling the truth. And so it's a whole syndrome that infects world society and it's just different than what it was before, and I don't know what the solution is. Uh, people know right from wrong. They obviously just don't want to do it. That's right, and I think that's something that a lot of people, even uh, people uh, in the younger generation like myself, have already seen and experienced during their lifetime is a growing apathy and zombification of the public in the, the face of what in, I think in any other age would be seen as truly uh, incredible uh, seismic shifts that are going on and, and people seem to be sleeping through it and it, it does seem like people have lost that uh, that concern that they that well that perhaps they once had for humanity and and as as you say i don't know what the the solution to this is but perhaps uh, defining the problem might be part of that solution do you, do you think this is something that has been planned or engineered into our society or is it simply a manifestation of uh, having I guess living high on the hog for too long with and getting drunk off of uh, easy credit. Well, I think that um, having a better lifestyle and being able to do all the things you ever dreamt of doing makes you think that you can do anything you want. Uh, I, I think that's part of it. But since the, I would say, since the start of Deweyism in 1929, 
which was the degradation degradation of the uh, academic situation in schools in America. <laughs> and in, in the 1930s, coming to the fore, the advent of advertising and shaping the minds of, of masses of people, and not only in America or on Madison Ave, but, uh, you know, Goebbels comes to mind and, and so on and so forth. And, and so I, I think a great deal of it is through propaganda. And, you know, I got a letter yesterday from someone who said, well, I don't watch television because it's a waste of time as an 18 year old. Uh, but the average person in my house watches it eight hours a day. And so this is probably a, uh, in large part a reason why uh, people are brainwashed and people are dumb. Instead of reading, they're watching and watching usually programs that, have, that are essentially trash. And so, yes, it, it's both things. Well, that's that's exactly right. There's no doubt that the our access to to more diverse forms of media now, through of course the the internet and all of the possibilities that that's opening, is opening a, a type of uh, I don't know Pandora's box, but certainly a box from which anything can come. And of course, that could be either for the good or for the bad. And uh, it's too, I think too chaotic for the the people who want to control the system, the Illuminists who are at the uh, the pinnacle of the pyramid, and uh, I think that's why we're going to see the clamping down on the internet and all forms of free expression. So uh, hopefully they can try to cram it back in the box, but I don't see that really working. I don't see the them being able to get the jack back in the box once it's uh, sprung out. What, what do you think about their their attempts to to limit this uh, flowering of information that we see going on right now? Well, uh, I think they'll try to do it. Uh, how successful they'll be, I don't know. Um, it's hard to say. They're going to try very hard to control it. And uh, I just, I'm not being Pollyannish, but I think they're going to have a terrifically hard time doing that. The hue and cry could start a revolution worldwide. And I, I just don't think it's going to happen. But then they're going to be relentless. They're going to try and try and try to first contain content and uh, then secondly to try to limit the kind of programs like this and talk radio and, and things of that sort off of uh, the uh uh, off the airways, because we're having a tremendous impact. I mean, I get uh, invited to go on television and radio and uh, be get interviewed by uh, media all over the world that are thirsty for the truth that can't get it. And uh, and so whatever we're doing, it's right because we're breaking down the barriers and we're keeping people from controlling. Uh, the internet, and uh, although they're going to try, I don't think they're going to be successful. Well, friends, if anything speaks to the uh, to the absolutely indomitable spirit of Bob Chapman, I think it's words like those, and ones that I think reflect quite well on on the work that he did and uh, the, the relentless pursuit of that work. 
where he really just was uh, tenacious with this and would not give up and would not submit in any of the ways to the type of uh, pessimism or just uh, give up type spirit that unfortunately pervades so many these days. So that, if anything, is certainly a mark to remember in the life of Robert Chapman. Once again tonight, we are remembering Bob Chapman. If you want to get in with your thoughts on, on this solemn occasion, 1-800-313-9443. We'll be right back after this. Radio, welcome back to this live Tuesday night edition of the broadcast, where we're remembering the life of Robert Chapman, Bob Chapman, who has been a regular guest on the Corbett Report for years, and who has been publishing the International Forecaster for decades, and who has been involved with writing and and helping others to write uh, on these matters for for literally half a century. Just an incredible life and legacy that we're remembering today. And I know so many people have been affected by the life of Bob Chapman, as have I. And I've uh, certainly been inundated with emails over the last few days and a uh, few weeks and few months generally uh, inquiring about Bob's health and a lot of people who are concerned about him. And certainly I think if there's any mark of a man, it's the type of, uh, the type of people that he leaves behind in his wake that, uh, that think about him and, and, and wish their best thoughts for him. And uh, certainly Bob Chapman has no dearth of friends in that regard. So many people who I know have been uh, benefited from his uh, from his services, uh, his service to humanity, really, and a lot of people who have uh, who have really been straightened out uh, financially by his, again, diligent efforts answering each and every single person who wrote into him. Just an incredible, incredible life, and uh, and unfortunately, yes, he has passed away this week, and it can be confirmed. Uh, I've talked to his uh, daughter this week, and I, I believe there will be an official announcement coming out uh, for, via the forecaster this Saturday. And the international forecaster will be continuing uh, under the auspices of his daughter. So we will uh, have more information about that as it comes out. But at this point, I think I'm scheduled to continue writing my uh, my at least weekly editorials, perhaps even more. But uh, that still has yet to be finally sorted out. But I will let you know as that develops but there is a uh, memorial page for Bob Chapman. It is up on obits.dignitymemorial.com, so I will put the link in the show notes if you want to go there and take a look at, uh, at that. And I'll just read from that, talking about Bob Chapman's life. It says, quote, Robert Bob John Chapman, age 76, of Winter Haven, Florida, formerly of Mexico, died Monday, June 4th, 2012, due to pancreatic cancer. He was born October 16, 1935, in Boston, Massachusetts, the son of John Chapman and Ruth Donnelly Chapman. Bob was a veteran of the U.S. Army, a writer of a newsletter discussing finances and economics, and a regular radio commentator discussing politics as well as economics and finances. Most of his working life, he served as a stockbroker. Bob is survived by his wife of 47 years, Judith Judy Dabrowski Chapman, Son, Robert Michael Chapman, daughter, Jennifer Gelati, and her husband, Matt. Sisters, Dorothy Trecker and Joan Lotz, and four grandchildren. Committal services are Wednesday, June 6th, and there is uh, uh, information about the funeral home where the services will be taking place. So, once again, Bob Chapman 
has passed, but you can leave your uh, guest book entry at that uh, uh, Dignity Memorial site, and there are already 293 entries in that guest book, and I'm sure only going to grow over the coming days. Just an incredible legacy, once again, that Bob Chapman has left behind. And it seems uh, too solemn an occasion altogether to be thinking about, about... trivia and contests and things like that, but as they say, the show must go on and so must our lives as we continue this work and trying to spread this information that Bob was so committed to spreading. So on that note, of course, uh, listeners will know that this is the fifth anniversary week of the Corbett Report's existence, and, uh, and such an integral part of that was Bob Chapman that I'm sure many of the listeners are listening to my voice now because they probably first encountered the website through Bob Chapman, and I've had so many people who have emailed me over the years to tell me that. Well, uh, on that note, of course, this is the fifth anniversary, so to mark the occasion, later this week I'm going to be releasing the next DVD in the DVD series uh, that I'm releasing at CorbettReport.com. The next one is going to be Data DVD Volume 2, comprising every single podcast episode, every article, every video, and every interview, including all of my Bob Chapman interviews from 2009. And that can be uh, garnered from CorbettReport.com later this week. I will let you know once that's available for purchase. But this week, all this week on Corporate Report Radio, we are giving out free DVDs. Uh, there will be one free DVD given out for each night. That's five in total, one for each year that the Corbett Report has been in existence. So tonight, instead of a phone-in, we're going to do a tweet-in. The first person to tweet at Corbett Report with... Well, with anything whatsoever, the first person to send a tweet at Corbett Report will get the free DVD. So just to tweet me at Corbett Report and uh, with anything whatsoever that's on your mind, and I will uh, get the free DVD off to you once it's completed and ready later this week. Once again, that more information about that will be available uh, later this week on CorbettReport.com in the support tab. And, uh, and once again... All of this is really possible because of the support of people like you out there and the support of people like Bob Chapman, who, as I say, has been just an incredible friend of the Corbett Report, not only donating his time so generously to myself and to so many other radio broadcasts, but also behind the scenes working to help me get this radio program and working uh, always as just someone who would advocate on my behalf with all sorts of people. He was uh, just an incredible person. And once again, we are all going to be greatly, greatly affected by his the loss of him from this planet. But uh, certainly, as I say, his memory will live on in the work that we're doing. Once again, if you'd like to leave any of your thoughts, 1-800-313-9443, and we'll get you on air. But on that note, uh, we're going to take a short break, and we'll come back continuing to remember the life of Bob Chapman with some of the uh, the various interviews that he's done on CorbettReport.com over the years. So just sit right there, and we'll be right back after these messages. You're listening to the Republic Broadcasting Network. Because you can handle the truth.
All right, friends, we're back here on Corbett Report Radio tonight, remembering the life of Bob Chapman, and once again, the first person to tweet at Corbett Report with anything whatsoever will get the free DVD for tonight. Uh, once again, the free DVD of the second edition of the Data DVD series that I'll be releasing at CorbettReport.com, including every single conversation with Bob Chapman and everyone else that I talked to and every other podcast and video and interview and article that I did in 2009. So once again, that will be coming out on CorbettReport.com later this week. But tonight we are remembering Bob Chapman, who unfortunately did pass away earlier this week. And our thoughts, sympathies, and prayers, of course, go out to his entire family, all of the people who have been touched by his life. And uh, and certainly it has been a great number of people. As we've noted uh, here time and again in the past, certainly Bob Chapman has been in the thick of things for, well, half a century, really, and uh, when you go back and you start to look at his involvement with people like Gary Allen, who himself had such an effect in waking up so many people to what's really going on, uh, to, and to think that Bob Chapman was really behind that and in, in his corner and publishing the Gary Allen Report, which eventually kind of morphed into the International Forecaster, and to think of that legacy continuing... Well, it's certainly just too important for us to drop the ball now, so we have to carry that torch forward, and we will be doing the best we can here on the Corbett Report, and I certainly hope that other people will be helping in carrying on that legacy and continuing to spread this information. So let's listen to a clip from another conversation that we had with Bob, this one from July of 2011, where we talked about some of the remarkable aspects of Bob's life. Many people might know about his uh, time publishing the Gary Allen reports and helping him to publish his books or uh, his, uh, his remarkable experiences as uh, in naval intelligence um, back in the post-World War II era, some of the, uh, the spying he was doing back in uh, that time before he learned about uh, the false flag event that was Pearl Harbor, which really woke him up and started him along his path. But even with all of that taken into account, there are still, and uh, even right up until the end, there were always things I was encountering about Bob Chapman's remarkable life and experiences that surprised me. So we're going to listen to, uh, to some ruminations on some of those experiences of a young Bob Chapman growing up, um, well, decades and decades and decades ago and meeting some very important historical figures. So let's listen to a bit of this conversation, which was conducted on 8th of July, 2011, with Bob Chapman. Well, the same thing has gone on for years in the CIA. It's one of the reasons that uh, I never uh, went to work for them. And um, I guess I realized what they were up to. I mean, it was really, uh, uh, this was back in the mid-1950s, and they'd only been in operation as the Central Intelligence Agency under the National Security Agency uh, and since 1948. Previously, they'd been OSS the Office of Strategic Services. And uh, I worked directly under NSA and uh, the National Security. And um, and I used to work with NSA people. And uh, when I saw what they were up to, but there was one saving factor to me at that time, although it didn't sway me to stay, and that was that about half the people were really great and the other half were awful. And uh, I think it's probably the same way today, if not worse. 
Well, it's important to keep in mind that it only takes a small cabal within an agency like that in order to to be a corrupt conduit to get uh, money or whatever else they want out of that agency. Because, as you know, intelligence work is all compartmentalized. So you could have a tiny a clique of people working behind the walls that are erected inside of these these different agencies that that most other people wouldn't even know what they're doing and uh, wouldn't have access to that knowledge, so that uh, they can do what, basically whatever they want. Well, that's right. Uh, they It is what they want it to be. And in my mind's eye, that really started to get bad, bad in the early 60s. That's when they went into total rogue operation. And that's when they wanted me to go to work for them, and I said no. And they've never forgiven me. Uh, Porter Goss was doing the same kind of work that I was, and he was recruited, and he worked with the... Uh, anti-Castro Cubans for the most part over the years and uh, I followed his career because I knew lots of people in that venue and um, uh, what happened was the continuation of that program in fact they were going to go back into Cuba again and uh, I know that firsthand incidentally and they changed their mind and uh they wanted me involved in it. That's how I knew about it. And um, after that, they asked me to do some things I refused, and the relationship certainly was never the same again. Well, it's interesting you placed it there in the 60s, because I think most people would see the assassination of Kennedy as one of the turning points in, in American history, and certainly the beginning of the slippery slope that we've slid down ever since then. And I think that was obviously an example of of how the uh, the intelligence agencies basically formalized their takeover of the presidency. But it does raise the question of, um, after they got rid of Kennedy and put their man LBJ into power, um, uh, I mean, they, they had so, so much control over the White House at that point, obviously, but they didn't, they didn't necessarily actively pursue the agenda that they seemed to be go- going for under Kennedy. They didn't uh, really push the, uh, the engagement with uh, the Soviets after that. They didn't reinvade. They didn't try to take back Cuba or anything like that. So it, it does beg the question of why they, um, they just uh, seemed to throw everything in with the Vietnam War after, after the Kennedy assassination and leave it at that. Well, I think it was probably because things were going so well for them. And um, Kennedy was, needless to say, filled in by his father, Joe. I knew Joe very well. Uh, during the summer in Cape Cod, I used to be his caddy. And I found out years later, you know, when I was in my early 40s, that my uncle, who was became deceased in 1936, who I obviously never knew, uh, he was Joe Kennedy's partner. And... Kennedy would always treat me like a son, and his wife even more so. And I could never figure out why they put her in a mental facility, we'll call it, when I never noticed anything weird about her at all. I used to caddy for her all the time, and her two girls. We had great fun out in the golf course. They were they were nice girls, and, of course, they were a bit older than I, and... Uh, and um, but anyway, uh, Joe trained Joe, who get killed in the war, and Jack. And um, Bobby probably learned the same things. Uh, Teddy was out in left field. I knew Teddy when he was a kid. Uh, we used to 
talk together and fish and play some baseball. And his friend was Tommy Cronin. His uh, dad was the general manager of the Boston Red Sox. So uh, everybody played baseball. <laughs> and uh, But Ted was always a jerk. And uh, I'll leave it at that. But uh, I never knew uh, Joe or uh, Jack or Bobby uh, because they were always off at school or doing something else. And um, But that's why they thought the way they did, because Joe Kennedy was brilliant. I mean, you had to know him to understand it. His mind was like grease lightning. And, uh, you know, I was a beneficiary just listening to what he had to say when we were on the golf course. And uh, one day he got mad at me. Uh, it was on the eighth hole at, um, at Oyster Harbor's Country Club. He hit a line drive. And I was forecatting out in front of a sand trap on the left. And I ducked behind the bag, and the ball hit the bag and went into the trap. He came out screaming and yelling. He was playing with Walter uh, Walter Hall, who was a pro at Hyannisport, where they lived in the summer. And Walter came up to him and grabbed him, and they'd both been drinking. And he grabbed him by the, he was a big man, and grabbed him by the scruff of the neck, and he said, you leave that little Irish kid alone or I'll knock you senseless. <laughs> but anyway, it was an interesting relationship. A little boy, I was, I think, 14, uh, 15 at the time, and uh, and this giant of, uh, of uh, the stock market. And uh, I learned a lot. Caddy uh, and changed my whole life, just like, of being uh, drafted and taken into counterintelligence. I mean, these things, uh, it was like going to Harvard in, in a different different school of learning. And I was accepted to Harvard, but I never went because I didn't like the people who went there. And I went to Northeastern instead. But the point is this, that Jack did what he did because his father told him what was going on. He knew exactly what to do. He knew all the kinks in the armor of the people who he had been working with and against for years. You know, every time that I think I, I probably know a lot about your background, I find new things that are just incredible. I mean, you you, see, you seem to know everyone who's been anyone in, in politics for the last uh, half century. Well, yeah, i get, I got to tell you a story. Um, I was with Jimmy Nagel, and uh, Jimmy is still alive. He's in his... Uh, He's about 77 now, still lives in Boston. And his uncle was Tip O'Neill. And the first time I met Tip, uh, he lived alone at the time. And he's sitting, I, I he said, come on in. You know, we went over his house in Cambridge. And uh, he's sitting on the, on, on, on the bed, which was like a bunk from the Army. And he, he lived a very Spartan existence. And uh, he's sitting there in his shorts saying, uh, who's this Irish kid with you here? And he said, did he come over from Ireland? And uh, Jimmy says, no, his family did uh, back in the late 80s. And he says, from where? He said, Dublin. He said, okay, he can stay. It's funny. I'll, I'll never forget it. And uh, I talked to Tip many times when I was a boy. As an adult, I never talked to him. And uh, he went on to much greater things. But it just shows you how things can happen in your life you never expect. And, of course, I didn't think that Tip O'Neill was going to become the Speaker of the House. All I know is what, that he had been elected uh, in that area. And I, I didn't even know what he did when I first met him, other than be a politician. 
And so, you know, things can change. And, and how did they change for me because of him? Well, Jimmy got into uh, the sheet metal work as a union and was very, very successful. And you, you had to have connections to do that. And one summer, he got me a job working for the state of Massachusetts, which paid pretty good money. And there were no jobs, and they made one up for me. Well, that's uh, good work if you can get it. Well, that's the way politics works in big cities in America. It isn't what you know, it's who you know. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, unfortunately so. I mean, it's a, it's a very crony system, isn't it? And, and it, does, it does go to show that the family connections and things like that, and uh, Joe teaching Jack the, the ropes of the game is the type of things that lead him into the seat of the corridors of power. And, and once in a while, you actually get someone from one of those, uh, those well-connected families who does decide to buck up against the system and uh, gets his head blown off in, in daylight. So so what are you going to do? Well, you do what I do when you don't have those kind of connections, and uh, you do what you do, and others such as Alex Jones, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, you stick your neck out. You know what's right. You know what the truth is. You're going to make mistakes, yes, and people have to understand that. But you go for it, and your life is on the line. I mean, look at you and I. We don't even live in the United States. My reasons are, I think if I lived there, I wouldn't be around very long. And that's where I stay where I stay, and I have to keep on moving. And uh, that's my take on it. And uh, if I was in Boston and New York now, I think I'd have major problems. Well, what more damning indictment of a country can possibly be that a man like Bob Chapman was really hounded out of the country because he was too much of a threat to the system, this supposedly land of the free and home of the brave was unfortunately not a uh, land where Bob Chapman was, was very welcome. So as many people know, he did leave the country and uh, and was uh, located in different places around the world over the years. And, uh, and that part of that experience, of course, is what lends the international flavor to the international forecaster and has led to uh, just uh, so, so much insight and, and wisdom about the system and the way that it really works. And that's something that obviously, as you can tell from that clip, was inculcated at a young age. And if there's anything that I think we can reflect on about uh, the success that, that Bob Chapman had as uh, the world's largest uh, silver and gold stockbroker over the years, um, well, that type of success certainly cannot come from anything other than experience and uh, from true talent and from hard work and perseverance. And all of those qualities which made him such an incredible uh, silver and gold stockbroker and a financial analyst also, of course, helped in his political acumen, in his ability to to really uh, provide insight into the, the behind-the-scenes of what's happening in the political world, and also uh, his social and economic forecasting, and uh, really everything that he did, all manner of aspects of, of his work life were certainly touched on by that. And I have no doubt, although I did not have a chance to really establish much of a personal relationship with Bob, I have no doubt that he... All of those things were reflected in his personal life as well. And uh, and it was uh, certainly something that I looked forward to each each week, was getting to pick his brain on some of the, the political and social and economic things that were happening around the world. Because when you have access to a mind like that with so many different varied experiences, it's not something to be taken lightly. And uh, that's not something that comes along many times in a lifetime. So I was certainly always aware that uh, this was 
incredible opportunity that I had. And, uh, and I must admit, uh, it's, again, it might be selfish on my part, but it was always something that I looked forward to on my own behalf, getting my own questions answered on a weekly basis. And of course, that was not something that, uh, that Bob Chapman held out for the, the few and the lofty. That was something that he gave to absolutely everyone as he once again answered each and every single email that came into the website, which is, uh, just a daunting task for anyone, let alone someone who was receiving the type of volume of emails that, uh, Bob Chapman was. And uh, from what I understand, right up until the end, he was uh, still dictating his uh, his articles and editorials for the forecaster. He was uh, still working and uh, trying to answer emails, and uh, he was still giving radio interviews right up until the last few weeks there. So, so certainly uh, just a tireless effort on his behalf, and we cannot let that legacy just go in vain. We have to carry the torch forward, as I say, and continue that legacy by continuing to spread that information and certainly in one very literal sense, his uh, legacy will live on in the most uh, in the most literal and, and basic way in terms of the, the interviews that have been recorded and archived at CorbettReport.com and in many other places around the web besides, and of course in the, uh, the forecaster, which he worked on so diligently for the last couple of decades of his uh, so-called retirement to life. But, uh, but once again, we will have to continue that uh, that entire legacy of that work forward, not only in the words and writing that he himself put forward, but also we'll have to continue and uh, somehow try to carry that mantle forward. So that's what we're going to be doing here on CorporateReport.com. And so after this break, we will uh, wrap up our reminiscences of Bob Chapman on this Tuesday night edition of Corporate Report Radio. Don't touch that dial. We'll be right back. Rolling, rolling, rolling. <laughs> Rawhide. <laughs> I'm going to use that right recording. I'm going I'm okay. to put that on the end of one of my podcasts sometime. <laughs> All right, here we go. Well, there's just a little glimpse of some of the behind-the-scenes banter between me and Bob, and uh, certainly over the years we did have a little bit of fun behind the scenes as well, uh, just in the minutes before recording or the uh, the minutes after, and sometimes we got into some conversations about about life, the universe, and everything, and uh, and those were some of the the treasured memories that I, I will certainly keep of Bob Chapman, the uh, the few uh, glimpses into the private life of Bob Chapman that I had, and uh, once again, I was blessed and honored to have those those glimpses, and once again, to have someone like Bob Chapman in my corner and, uh, and fighting for me, and that was uh, just something that I was overwhelmed by. Um, I, I uh, have always had just incredible, incredible correspondence with uh, with people who have always said that, uh, that that Bob is one of their favorite guests, that they love to hear him. And so many people, as I say, have encountered the Corbett Report by finding the interviews that I conducted with Bob Chapman. So once again, it has been an incredible few years and uh, too short a time, really, to, to get to know someone uh, just so, so interesting and with so many experiences under his belt. But as I say, we're going to have to continue pressing forward, and that's exactly what we do here on CorbettReport.com. So we will uh, we will continue to do that. And once again, I don't know exactly what form and what way that will continue. I don't know to what extent his his daughter is going to be uh, continuing on with uh, the, the interviews that he did. I'm not sure if that will transpire, and I'm not exactly sure how the uh, how I will be fitting into that uh, international forecaster as it continues forward. 
So um, as I understand, there will be a forecaster going out this Saturday, and uh, and we'll see we'll see what transpires from there. But certainly, I I hope that uh, the the that direct legacy of Bob Chapman will not uh, expire, and certainly uh, the the overall legacy of just fighting for the good fight against uh, the the moral depredation that we've seen and that we, he was discussing in that first clip uh, that we played tonight. Well, certainly we will continue fighting against that and continuing to spread the inf- information in the face of the clampdown on the uh, the free spread of knowledge and info that they want to uh, to establish in order to try to keep people suppressed. And, uh, and ultimately, that's probably the best way that we can mark the life and legacy of someone like Bob Chapman is just to continue that work. So once again, we will be continuing to do that here on Corbett Report Radio and on all of my work at CorbettReport.com. Once again, all of your support and condolences out there are uh, much appreciated. I've been receiving quite a bit of that over the last few days uh, via email. And of course, I haven't really been able to reply to people personally about that. Um, I didn't even have confirmed this confirmed for myself uh, that that Bob had passed until uh, just uh, a short time ago. So, so unfortunately, it is uh, it is true. Bob Chapman has passed away, but his uh, his life and legacy will live on here and in other places. And on that note, we will continue pressing ahead. And uh, and something that this uh, this type of event puts into perspective for me is how important it is, of course, to be able to leave a legacy, to leave a mark on this world. And that, I think, is the type of true success that we were talking about yesterday. What really marks success in this type of thing? Well, it's not it's not how many uh, how many people are singing your praises necessarily. It's it's what kind of uh, legacy, what kind of world you leave behind. And on that note, later this week on the broadcast, I'm going to be uh, doing something that I've been I, I've put off for quite a long time, but I've gotten a lot of requests from people wanting to know how to uh, do various things, how to put a video together, how to do interviews and things like that. Well, later this week on the broadcast, I'll be lifting the veil and uh, explaining some of the technical processes that people can do use to actually do some of this work for themselves and start spreading this information for themselves, which is always the most important part. So look forward to that. Look forward to uh, more broadcasts this week and the podcast and the videos and all of that coming up. And on that note, we'll leave it there for tonight. And 23 hours from now, I will join you once again. So thank you once again for your time, and I'll talk to you tomorrow night.